You don't have any Stephen King. You've got the shoe. You mean shiny. Shh. You want to get sued? It's just your fate. You're that geeky Stephen King kid. There's one of you in every school. Okay, that's him, that's him, that's Kujo, that's Kujo. I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something, something. Oh, crazy. Don't mind if I do. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. And while every episode will always be free, if you'd like to support what we do here and get exclusive audio content that isn't free, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer for a ridiculous amount of bonus content spread across all of obsessiveviewer.com's various podcasts. Uh, Just for uh, reference, you can get at the $2 level, you can get my uh, story-by-story coverage of Stephen King's short story collections. I've done Night Shift, Skeleton Crew, and am just about to finish up Nightmares and Dreamscapes. And, uh, we don't, I I don't know when exactly we will be covering fairy tale, which comes out September 6th, uh, on the podcast proper, but I am going to be doing a read along thing on Patreon where I, I'll read about 50, hundred pages, however, however many, and then record my thoughts in progress as I read it. So uh, that'll be at the $2 level on Patreon. So go ahead and sign up. Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer. Get a ton of inform- ton of bonus content there. I am one of your hosts, Matt Hurt. And joining me today, as usual, is Tiny. Tiny, how are you doing this evening? I am doing awesome. Nice, nice. Are you excited for Fairy Tale? Yeah, I haven't even really read a lot about it, so I'm going in pretty blind. Nice. I know just a little bit about it, but I'm very much excited about it. I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm. Anytime we get new King stuff, uh, I'm pumped for it. So yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but today we are going to be continuing our coverage of Carrie um, by reviewing. Brian De Palma's 1976 film, Carrie, which of course was adapted from Stephen King's first published novel, uh, Carrie. <laughs> so i um, very excited for this. We're, it's part of our ongoing series on Carrie. Next, we'll be doing the 2002 TV movie and then the 2013 movie. Um, and then after that, I think the plan is still to switch over to Firestarter and do the novel and both movies. Um, so yeah. And then eventually somewhere in there, probably I want to, I want to do fairy tale in between Carrie and, uh, Firestarter. So that's kind of the plan. We'll see how that, how that goes. Uh, how do you feel about that plan? Tiny? 
Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, I have not started Firestarter yet, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I read it a couple of years ago, but I haven't uh, I haven't taken the plunge yet uh, to re- reread it uh, for the podcast. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll have to do Fairy Tale and then Firestarter. But yeah, we'll we'll get it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so before we get into our review of Carrie, uh, let's kind of dig into some Stephen King news and, and check-ins. Um, yeah, Tiny, do you have any Stephen King check-ins? Anything recently that you've done or consumed uh, that has a relation to Stephen King? I don't unfortunately have anything nice that i can check in on yeah i wish i did (laughs) okay nice no problem um i don't really have much of anything either except that i've been reading nightmares and dreamscapes of course um check out patreon all that um i have also um well i don't know uh i was gonna say um yeah i i yeah i i don't know um yeah, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. <laughs> That's basically it. Um, did you know, Tiny, that Nightmares and Dreamscapes has a story that is Stephen King writing a Sherlock Holmes story? No, I did not know that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's uh, called The Doctor's Case. Um, it's basically a story uh, where Holmes and Watson and Lestrade are uh like Lestrade goes to Holmes and says hey I've got your perfect closed door murder case um that you that's unsolvable and everything and then uh basically the the entire story is written by uh, from the perspective and of an elderly Watson talking about the only time he the only time he bested Holmes on a case and solved a case before Holmes did um and it is mm. It's really interesting. I really, I really liked it. Um, nice. Have you ever read any uh, actual Sherlock Holmes? You know, I haven't, but I like, you know, when, when like Knives Out came out and like, I really wanted to just dive into like Agatha Christie and, uh, and uh, Sir Arthur, Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, just those mystery writers and everything, but I just, I never did. I never did. Have you? I've never read any, no. Mm, um, interesting. I, I'd like to sometime. I just never have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next up is Sherlock junkies. I don't know. Um, podcast. Oh God. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, but yeah, but no, I, I would be interested to read some, um, for sure. I know on audible, there's like a massive audiobook That's like all of the, all of the Sherlock Holmes stories in one big thing. Um, so yes, yeah. that'd probably be overwhelming. I'd prefer, yeah. I think I'd probably prefer to actually read like a physical copy of that, mm-hmm. of, uh, start like an actual, Sherlock Holmes story, not the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I would too. My kind my whole thing would be that, uh, I'm just, I'm a completionist and I'm insane. Uh, yeah. and I would want that. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus I, I don't know how much there is of uh, Sherlock Holmes out there, but I, um, I don't know if it's best to just like start at the beginning or uh, I don't, I don't know. 
Yeah, I don't have, know either. I'd have to like Google how I should read it, I guess. Right. It'd be kind of like the Dark Tower series. <laughs> like people have to Google right. uh, you know, what they what what order they have to read in. Um yeah. yeah. Uh but yeah, but anyway, so those are our Stephen King check-ins, sort of. <laughs> I did just I guess this can count as a check-in. Today I pre-ordered the physical copy of Fairy Tale. Um, and I have the Audible uh pre-ordered as well, because you know, I want to read along with it um wh- while listening to it. So I'm ex- I'm okay. I'm very excited for that. Um, Sweet, yeah. Yeah. And so as far as Stephen King news is concerned, I've got two things, um two two things to to bring up that I thought were kind of interesting. Um this one, this first one is a little fluffy. It's it's not really that uh interesting or anything, but uh I I took special notice of it myself because um when I was a kid and Tiny, I, I believe you, I'm sure you had an affinity for Goosebumps, right? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. Loved it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I count Goosebumps as being the stepping stone toward my love of Stephen King. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there was an article on Dread Central that <laughs> the headline is, R.L. Stein says that Stephen, says this Stephen King novel is the scariest and admits to stealing its premise. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was from an from an interview that rl stein the author of goosebumps um he had given to yahoo a an interview and also interestingly enough i think in the article it says i think it says that goosebumps is like the second the second like best-selling child like like kid book series second to harry potter like I didn't Shit. realize it was like that big. Um but yeah, but I thought that was interesting. So anyway, um Is he still publishing new books? He is um I don't know Under if the he's the Goosebumps title I meant. Oh, oh, I don't know if he's doing any Goosebumps or Fear Street for that matter. I know that he's he's done some like, you know, like adult novels. Um okay. but I don't know. It would be really cool to meet him. <laughs> uh Yeah. Yeah. Him and Steve. Um, right. But uh, but anyway, so R.L. Stein's quote, I, I got a kick out of this. Um, his quote from his interview with Yahoo was, quote, One thing I do as a writer is that I come up with the ending first so that I can keep readers from guessing it. I do a complete outline of every book, but I always try to get the ending before I write chapter one, because then I know how to fool the reader. Rod Serling and Agatha Christie were huge influences that way. I can't tell you how many Agatha Christie plots I've stolen. (laughs) I think Stephen King's... (laughs) I think Stephen King's scariest book is Pet Cemetery, and I've stolen that premise four or five times. (laughs) And then uh, it goes on to say, oh, yeah, I told him I've only met him once and we had a nice talk. He accused me of taking every amusement park plot and not saving them for anyone else. Um, <laughs> That's funny. I, thought, I thought that was charming. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the next article I have is from the Associated Press. The uh, headline is Stephen King testifies for government in books merger trial. Uh, I hadn't really heard about this. I don't know much about it or anything, but, uh, basically he was testifying that, um, his publisher, Simon and Schuster is 
coordinating to merge with uh, Penguin Random House. And Mm -hmm. it's like an antitrust suit. There's like this whole thing about too too much power or whatever. I don't know. Um, But I just want to read like a couple snippets from this article that I just thought was really uh, interesting. Um, Stephen King didn't break any legal ground on the stand Tuesday as he testified against his own publisher's efforts to merge with Penguin Random House, but he did know how to please a crowd and even got the judge to thank him for his time. Uh, uh, quote, it was a real pleasure to hear your testimony, end quote. The otherwise business-like U.S. District Judge Florence J. Pan told the author after he finished speaking as a government witness in a federal antitrust lawsuit against the merger of... Uh, Penguin Random House and Simon and Schuster, King's longtime publisher. Um, and so, what I what I really liked about this, and like this just has me, this tickles me so much, is that uh, it goes on to say, but once sworn in, he was relaxed and happy to talk, and ever alert to how to tell a story. And then. <laughs> quote my name is Stephen King I'm a freelance writer um like I just love that that's how he like he identifies himself like he's one of the most (laughs) prolific and popular best-selling authors of the last several decades and he's he's just like my name is Stephen King and I'm a freelance writer like I just love that um that's great yeah so Uh, Basically, he kind of went on to testify and talk about how when he started out in the 70s, there were like a bunch of different like small uh, publishing companies that were able to, you know, get, you know, people published and everything. And the that has gone away. And now the publishing industry is kind of ruled by five huge, huge publishing firms and them kind of can like consolidating their power is really damaging to um to writers by and large so i don't know yeah okay yeah so uncle steve still got it i don't know he does Uh, yeah i'm glad i'm glad he spoke out Um, yeah me too i haven't read any details i heard about the merger Mm -hmm. um on uh, npr just kind of in passing it's not like a huge story or anything but uh I mean, I I don't have an opinion on it necessarily, but if, you know, what he said makes sense to me, so. Yep. Same here. Same here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is all of the news that I have. Um, anything else we want to bring up before we go into our review of Carrie? Mm, No, I think I'm good. All right. Nice. So just as a refresher, last time on the podcast, we reviewed carry the novel and tiny did you put that on your top 19 anywhere i don't believe i did for mine did you do you remember i I flirted with the idea but um i don't think i've officially put it on my list gotcha okay and uh so now we're going to be reviewing the 1976 movie by brian de palma it came out november 16th 1976 uh plot summary is carrie white a shy friendless teenager teenage girl who is sheltered by her domineering religious mother unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at her senior prom uh the cast includes sissy spacek as carrie piper laurie as margaret white Amy Irving as Sue Snell and John Travolta as Billy uh, Nolan. And uh, I have some, I have some interesting notes. So 
when I do like when I do anthology, my solo podcast about the Twilight Zone, I kind of compile my notes and compile the cast and crew and everything. And I look up uh, what other like sci-fi anthology shows that they've had that they have in their credits, what other science fiction credits they have, any other collaborations with people from the Twilight Zone. So what I thought would be fun is if I did the same kind of thing here. So, um, so Sissy Spacek stars as Carrie. The interestingly enough, aside from like reading the audiobook of Carrie, um, the only other collaboration or the only other Stephen King work that I could find that she was a part of was Castle Rock season one, um, mm. which is interesting because that's so many years. Like I, I just find that interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. And Piper Laurie, who plays Margaret White in here, uh, she had uh she only has like a uh stephen king related credit um outside of carrie of uh funny enough the 1985 iteration of the twilight zone episode called grandma which is an adaptation of a stephen king short story that i believe was in skeleton crew uh she did the uncredited voice of grandma and Yeah, and Amy Irving as Sue Snell, the only other Stephen King-related thing that she did uh, was she reprised her role as Sue Snell in the 1999 sequel, The Rage Carry 2, which bears no resemblance or likeness to the source material from as far as I can tell. Um, Yeah. Right. And then rounding up the cast, John Travolta as Billy Nolan. Uh, this was his. This is his only Stephen King related work on his filmography, which I find interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything on that, or do you want me to go to the writer and director? Uh, writer and director. Okay, so writer is Lawrence D. Cohen, who also did the teleplay for the uh, it uh, for the nineteen ninety it miniseries. Uh, he did the teleplay for the Tommyknockers TV miniseries, and he also wrote the teleplay for The End of the Whole Mess, which was a 2006 episode of the uh, limited series, miniseries, whatever, uh, anthology series, Nightmares and Dreamscapes from the stories of Stephen King. Uh, and of course, The End of the Whole Mess was adapted from, I believe, Nightmares and Dreamscapes, the uh, the short story collection. And he also co-wrote the script for the 2013 Carrie movie. Um, so Lawrence D. Cohen, uh, he has quite a resume of Stephen King stuff. Um, and then <laughs> Brian De Palma, only Stephen King work. <laughs> oh, damn. So, yeah. Um, so, Tiny, uh, what... Uh, was, this wasn't your first time watching Carrie, was it? It was. First time. Was it? Oh, okay. Because in, in, on your letterbox check-in, it shows it as a rewatch. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the first time yeah. I've ever seen it. So. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, what were your expectations and, and what did you think of it? Well, it had pretty high expectations. It's um, it's a very well revered movie, um, and uh, it's part of the King iconography, and it's uh, really popular not just in the horror uh, horror fan realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had pretty high expectations going in. Um, I ended up liking it, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's like I said, it's so it's so well regarded. I figured there was at least something to that. Um, yeah, it was it was good for sure. Um, I think. I think the book is better. Um, mm. uh, there, I was reading some of the trivia for it, and Stephen King actually says he kind of likes 
he kind of likes the ending better than what he did. And he thinks mm-hmm. the movie is actually better than the book. So, um, <laughs> that's kind of, kind of surprising to me. Um, I, I did have some issues with it. I think, um, one, one of the performances is a little over the top for me mm-hmm. and sort of took me out of it a little bit. Um, but all around it's a, it's a damn good movie. And, and mm-hmm. I think, um, if anything, it really, uh, launched Sissy Spacek. Yeah. Um, she was like pitch perfect in this movie. Mm-hmm. She was so damn good in this movie. I really loved her. Oh, yeah. um, I actually haven't seen her in a lot of stuff. Um, I was thinking that too. Yeah. Yeah. For no particular reason. I just haven't, I haven't really seen her in much. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it, it's, it's a really cool movie. It's, it's a fair adaptation for sure. I think, um, I think the, the parts where they, uh, you know, rang true to the book were, were some of the important parts. So uh, I give it a lot of respect for that. Um, yeah, it's, it was a good movie. I, I gave it, I think I gave it three and a half stars. Yes, you did. And, uh, might I put you on the spot here for a second? Sure. Um, now I, I want to rem- remind you, you are under oath. <laughs> January 26th, 2014. You were at home and you watched Carrie 1976. <laughs> really? Yeah, according to Letterboxd. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Why did I say it? I If I did, I have no memory of that. Yeah. Um, huh, 2014. Yeah. January 24th. I have no idea. Mm. I I may have watched part of it and not mm-hmm. finished it, but just counted it maybe. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, it could have huh, probably been something you just kind of watched in the background or something. Maybe, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe I mislogged it because I actually watched the remake. Oh. That could have been the problem. Because I... I've... Like, I, I have, if I watched it, I have, no, I have no memory of the details because mm-hmm. I... I, I didn't remember. I was watching it for the first time today. Like it felt like yeah. the first time I, you know, I've seen some of the <laughs> clips and stuff from the, uh, from the 1976 version, the original version. And mm-hmm. I, I know what's going to happen. So like, it's, it's a pretty well um, established story, but I didn't, mm-hmm. I had never seen it. So I, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe I just logged it wrong or something. Yeah. Huh. Well, I'm, I know I, I joke, but you're not on trial or anything. Um, okay. but yeah, but that's, that's interesting. I, it does have a very specific style to it. Um, and you know, I will say this, I've seen it a few times now and honestly, I, I like it. But I don't necessarily think I love it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, it is some things that I really appreciate about this movie is that it is very brisk. It is, it is a lean, lean movie. It's it's like a little over ninety minutes, and it 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 is fast moving. Um, I think that is both a credit and to its credit and its detriment, because I think that by 
not necessarily cutting corners, but by speeding through things, I feel like some some aspects of it were a little bit lost in the shuffle. In particular, I kind of think some of the characterization is a little bit lost. Um, some of the nuances of the characterizations, like, and I, I, and I, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and, and compare it to the book or talk about how it, you know, they didn't go into like the mental anguish of Carrie all that well, because it does, it does a very good job of adapting the the feel of being that outcast teenager and the feel of being the the um bullying teenagers and everything and having that sense of um sense of entitlement and sense of uh like self-righteous indignation and being like angry and not thinking of the consequences like it has all of this stuff but there's something to it that i don't really connect with as a complete piece um i i i can't quite put my finger on it at at times the movie feels a little bit like there's some interesting things i'm not i i will go ahead and say it i'm not terribly familiar with Brian De Palma in general like what I've seen of his work I'm fine with I think I he did Scarface right um yeah yeah I saw Scarface when I was a teenager and felt like I was supposed to love Scarface but (laughs) I it was fine um yeah but I don't know that I've really ever seen any other De Palma movies. Um, so it's a pretty big blind spot for me, but there's a certain level of um, artistry in this movie that I I kind of can't really make too much sense of. Like there's, there's such a, um, there's such a, uh, emph- <sighs> A weird oh yeah he did the first mission impossible that's right huh mm-hmm. um the untouchables the untouchables yeah um and then yeah uh he's done a bunch of stuff but anyway um there's this thing that i i don't know if this is like a brian de palma thing or if there is a purpose behind it but he does this interesting thing where two characters will be in the same frame in the foreground and background, but they'll both be in focus. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So like, uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Ross will be taught, will be in English class and Carrie will be in this, in the seat a few rows behind him. And, but they're both in frame. They're both, they're both, um, focused in and it's so weird and surreal. Um, but I don't really know why, like, I don't know what the deal is, what the intention of that is. Um, and then there's some beats with the music that I'm just kind of uh kind of confused by because it has this ethereal like like kind of happy go lucky tone to it um that's almost dreamlike which fits in certain respects like it fits in certain times like I I think that the prom sequence before the carnage and during the carnage is is perfect like I think that that is a perfect yeah perfect sequence um and the music fits well it has that surreal dreamlike quality and it is it is heightened but like when the girls are doing like their detention in gym and it's having this like fluttery like 
percussive kind of music that's supposed to be like dreamlike and everything. It doesn't really mesh all that well for me. Um, so it kind of seems a little bit, a little bit weird in tone. And then the other big thing with the music that I know that it's going to be, uh, a big part of it is that the, the riff on psycho, um, I had seen, I think somewhere that Bernard Herman, who obviously did the, did the music for psycho and countless other things. I think he was supposed to score the movie, but he passed away like the December before production or December before like this was made. Um, so I can kind of see how that like sting that, that psycho sting is used in tribute to him. But every time it was very distracting for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, that's a lot of a, a lot of kind of my thoughts on it. What did you think of, of those those things? Did any of those things jump out to you, Tiny? Yeah, the, the music definitely jumped out uh, to me as well, especially the uh, the, the kind of uh, jolting violin riffs that were popularized by Psycho. Um and and I was again reading the trivia. I can't remember mm. exactly what it said, but basically, um, I don't know if it was De Palma or if it was the um, uh, composer. It was basically mm. just like, well, I had this idea for these like very harsh violin riffs, and like they they did it and they recorded it, and that was they were putting it into the soundtrack, and then they realized, oh, this is basically the same thing they did with Psycho. Oh, and okay. Hmm. I I thought that was. I wonder if that's true because. Mm how could you be a director or a composer in Hollywood yeah. and not be familiar with the music from psycho? Like it's so <laughs> iconic. That just seemed kind of like a weird explanation to me. Maybe that's not yeah. true. I, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, it, it's, it's slightly different, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's the same thing and yeah, it works. It definitely works in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I, I agree with you. It took me out too. Cause I was like, Oh, that's, that's, that's psycho. They're doing the psycho music. That's yeah. weird. Um, and they did it more than once. Um, oh yeah. Used, it's used it several times. Yeah. And one of the more frustrating aspects of that is that it's, it, it is definitely the psycho music, but it's like, it's only like a few, a few beats of it. So in the, it like in psycho it's, it's like that i'm so sorry listener but (laughs) but like in in carrie it's just it's it's like a it's it's it doesn't have like that payoff it reminds me of the bit in the office where where andy is singing along or singing uh, like acapella of uh, the names of the the people uh, of the companies in the in the business park that he's that he and Pam are in, and then like she gets she tells him to stop and he gets in the elevator and he's like oh my god I need to I need to resolve the resolve the the rhyme uh, I'm gonna get a headache and everything <laughs> it's like I had that experience like you need to play the rest of it like it's just it's very brief every time. And it's, I don't know, it just, it kind of, it, it kind of got under my skin in in a not good way. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, so the, I found the trivia. It says Brian De Palma wanted a screeching music cue for the mirror breaking. Mm-hmm. It was after making that decision when he realized Psycho had already used the exact music he was looking for. Oh. But he went with it. He went with it anyways. Wow. Maybe the thing I, that I read about Bernard Herman wasn't true. That is true. I oh, was okay. also in here. Uh, you were on. The, you were on the money with that as well. Nice. So I. I don't. I wonder if that whole thing is just speculation or something weird. Yeah. Huh. That's that's weird. Yeah, but I. Yeah. I don't know. It. It didn't work for me. Um. Mm-hmm. Personally. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. As far as um, the performances though, I. I think that's what really makes the movie for me. Um. I. And it's. It's. I think it's the most. Uh, that's that's the aspect that that requires the most analyzation because um like i said in the beginnings i think sissy spacek is like perfect she was so damn good in this i absolutely absolutely loved her performance i mean she's she 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 runs the gamut of emotion and she she uh does it so well her body language is remarkably good um and just her her mannerisms and she i mean she just has that very innocent kind of puppy dog look to her um she's like she's just adorable and Mm -hmm. and she just plays it so well um i just i loved her performance and then you know in the climax when she goes bananas she has those very piercing eyes it's it's incredible what she can do with her eyesight or her her just the look of her eyes because Mm -hmm. you know the the gym teacher even mentions it that she's um her eyes are very pretty and they are, but man, when she goes nuts, it's like scary when, when, you know, she goes, she, uh, she goes full telekinetic crazy at the end. Yes. Um, her eyes are so wide and just piercing. And, um, if you look at the poster, uh, I'm looking at it on IMDb right now, they have a picture of her being crowned, uh, prom queen. And then a picture of her, uh, covered in the pig, pig's blood next to it. And her eyes are just yeah. popping out of her skull in an amazing way. Um, I, she, I just give her all the credit in the world. She was fantastic in this. Um, yeah. Which is funny. Cause I was, as I was watching it, I was like, you know, again, I haven't seen Sissy Spacek in much and I haven't seen her in something when she was this age. Yeah. Um, she's pretty, I mean, she's a good looking, good looking woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, Carrie, Carrie is not the character from the book was, you know, more heavy set and had acne and yeah. and all that stuff. And um, they talk about that in the trivia and everything, how that, you know, she doesn't really fit that mold. But um, it, it, like I said, initially in the, in the first, you know, uh, maybe first third or the first act of the movie, I was like, yeah, you know, she really doesn't fit it physically, but she's doing a pretty good job. And by the end of the movie, I didn't care because she was nailing it so well with her performance. Um, yeah. She really stood out to me. Um, but I think, I think the other actors deserve a lot of credit too. Um, Mostly Nancy Allen uh, for being, uh, she plays the character of Chris Harginson. She yeah. was really um, just diabolical and just a hor- horrific bully. Um, she did a really good job too. So those are those are the two standouts for me. I, I think yeah. Piper Laurie is worth mentioning. Uh, mm-hmm. She was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Um, I I she she was over the top for me uh, several times. Is, um, is she who you were saying was uh, over the top? Yeah, Piper Laurie. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought she was a little over the top. Um more than a little actually. Like she she was a little um just kinda uh, you know, too much. 
yeah. in, in a few points. And I, I think she, she played it as sort of like a black comedy kind of character. And I don't mm-hmm. think that worked. Um, I actually, I give a lot of credit to Julianne Moore in the remake. I thought she was mm-hmm. fantastic as Margaret White. I thought she did a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but Piper Laurie, I think just crossed the line uh, several times. I think she was just too much. Um, I, I'm not, she wasn't terrible. Like I, I think she did a good job, a good job in a lot of the scenes, but especially towards the end, she was just uh, a little too much for me. You know, that's really interesting because you're right. She was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress and Sissy Spacek was nominated for Best Leading uh, Lead Actress. Um, Also, interestingly enough, they both lost to uh, actresses from the movie Network. Um, So Faye Dunaway and Beatrice Strait. But, Hmm. um, you know, that's really interesting because I did not feel like Piper Laurie was over the top in... In, in my opinion, but I did feel like that element of the story kind of needed a little bit more fleshing out. Um, like I said, this is a very brisk, tight 98 minute movie. And what I appreciate about it is how much it really kind of dives into the, you know, teenage like culture of the time. And it really feels like a lived in kind of thing. But it also feels like some things kind of get overlooked because a lot of it is subtext. There's a lot of subtext to the culture of the things, like the reason behind Chris uh, wanting to pay back Carrie or get Carrie because of things that that she did and she's not taking responsibility for. Like, there's a lot of stuff there that's all subtext, which is great, and it's done very well, but... When you have Piper Laurie going like full blown religious zealot, and everything there is pretty much surface level until the ending, where she kind of reveals a little bit more about her backstory, it kind of feels a little bit lopsided to me. It kind of feels like, okay, we are existing in these two different movies this high school drama and this religious fanaticism heightened like kind of like you said playing it like it's a black comedy kind of thing and it just it doesn't really gel all that well with me um as a whole cohesive unit and kind of add to that the kind of weird um differences in the music choices um it kind of it's a movie that i respect i enjoy it but i don't I d- it's not like oh one of the greatest movies of all time for me um or even yeah, one of the greatest right. Stephen King adaptations for that matter um yep. it just feels kind of i don't know incomplete sort of um mm-hmm. yeah so i don't know but i do agree that sissy spacek does an incredible job and just kind of how you pointed out the poster art and everything just like throughout the entire movie she goes from uh, she runs a full gamut of of emotions and it is to such a level that it is it it's masterful it is masterful her performance and i was looking at her at her uh, filmography i've actually seen a lot of stuff she's in um hmm. like i have seen um oh she was in bloodlines on netflix or maybe just bloodline i don't know she was also in jfk um 
and oh god uh oh <laughs> uh blast from the past which i enjoyed quite a bit uh with brendan fraser um, yes i remember her from that yeah yeah uh there was one that jumped out here that i was like oh yeah duh but i can't find it here bloodline oh the old man and the gun yeah with robert redford okay. um yeah so anyway um yeah so a, the performances um, were great yeah, sorry, there's a scene, um, I think it's, for me, like, maybe the best, the best tandem scene in the movie where um, um, Carrie gets sent home after she has her period mishap, mm-hmm. um, and she gets sent home, and the teacher calls Mrs. White and tells her what happened, and she basically confronts Carrie about it at home, and she's, like, mm-hmm. hitting her in the face with a magazine. Yeah. Um that was a really powerful scene. And I think both actors were hitting it out of the park in that mm-hmm. scene. Um, so uh, again, I think Piper Lowry was, was, was over the top a mm-hmm. few times. And, and, but she also, she also played, played, you know, flirted with the line really quite a few times too. She was, she was really good in several scenes and like, I, I, I give her some credit. I don't think she was bad. It's just, too too many times she went she went over overboard for me um but i yeah. really love that scene that was really good yeah that was that was really good i really liked the 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 scene at the end which we'll talk about in spoilers and everything but um i i do i do think that i liked her performance uh more than you liked it obviously but uh but yeah i can definitely respect it it was pretty over the top in in quite a few places yeah. okay yeah. Um the religious aspect to it um it's something that I think we I'm sure we talked about it in the in the review of the book and it's stuff we'll talk about when and as we go through King's entire work and everything but his his depiction of religion and religious zealotry fanaticism in general is some of the meatiest and best uh, aspects of his writing in my opinion because it is so it comes from such a darkness there there's such a dark streak with it and here in Carrie in the novel it's done beautifully it's done very well and I think that 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 is one of the things in the in the in the movie that is captured reasonably well like the the complete chaotic nature of Margaret White, her, her just flying off the handle as over the top as it can be, the way that it affects Carrie and the way that Carrie is terrified of her and the way that she gains this upper hand over her throughout the movie is really, really good, um, really well realized in, in, the, in the movie versus or, or, uh, uh, given what's in the book and everything. So I just, I appreciate that. Um, and I think that that's where Piper Laurie's, uh, performance really shines for me is when in those moments where she's, you know, batshit insane. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Is there anything else before we go into spoilers? I do have one thing before spoilers, but anything else you want to bring to the table? No, what was the last thing you had? Um, John Travolta. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if this is fair. 
I don't know. I d- I'm going to feel like I'm going to sound like I'm going to sound completely reductive and kind of like an ass, but I don't know how much of this is John Travolta and how much of this is uh is John Travolta as Billy Nolan. Like I don't know how much of this is John Travolta and how much of this is Billy Nolan, but I just got this intense feeling when he was on screen where I was like, he just seems like the dumbest person. (laughs) Like he just seems like dumb for lack of a better word. And I think that it could be either a brilliant performance because that's what the character is. Very dumb guy, jock teenager guy or dumb, like immortal teenager person but I don't know how much of that is his performance and a conscious effort and how much of that is, oh, just John Travolta in the 70s. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. How did you feel about his performance? Yeah, uh, it's it's not – I didn't think it was particularly noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not, another interesting thing about the movie, none of the male characters really stand out that much. Yeah. Um, which is kind of poignant. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think there's some some subtext that a person could draw about you know feminism uh, from from the book and from the movie. Yeah, um, I, I'm not going to really comment on it because I'm not sure even what I would interpret from it in regards to that theme. But um, it, it's of it's of note in this movie that the the, the male performances are pretty forgettable. You know. Uh, yeah. Including John Travolta. But um yeah, I, I don't know. I've never been like a massive John Travolta fan. Like he's Yeah, me neither. I mean he's fantastic. he's he's great in Pulp Fiction. I love him in Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction. Um there's some other uh some other roles of his that I'm like, oh yeah, he was good. He he, he was he did a good job. I, I like him enough, but he I, I I've never fully understood why for quite a while he was one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yeah. Um, I just, I never held him in that kind of regard, but you know, it's, it's, I think it's kind of hard to contextualize this performance uh, amongst all that because, you know, this is his first movie role and. Oh yeah, um, that's right. He was, yeah, he was really young. Um, But yeah, he, you know, he, he could be over the top uh, Mm. in in some of his, in some of his roles. So um, I, I really don't know how to, how to contextualize this this performance and and really analyze it? I'm not sure it even warrants it that much because it's no. a it's a relatively minor role too. Yeah, he's he's mostly just manipulated by mm. the Chris character. Um, but he's, I think he also kind of, I I don't know if he's smart enough to realize that he's being manipulated. Right. Um, he, he's for sure an idiot. Yeah. And um, watching their teenage bickering is <laughs> frustrating but also accurate because it's like you know yeah. so many teenage couples are like that because they're both dumb yeah um young and dumb idiots you know but uh yeah, yeah it i i didn't really have a strong opinion about his uh his performance either way yeah i do appreciate also that the movie at least does some some work in showing like the makings of him as like an abusive drunk um 
And like the book does a great job of showing that like Chris is attracted to that type of guy because that's what her father is, or I think, or or what have you. Like it goes into the psychology of that. Whereas the movie doesn't really do that. Like when we see, uh, like I don't, do we see Chris's parents? Because when she goes to the prom, or was that Sue? I don't, I don't think so. I think that's we just see Sue's parents. Okay, uh, but so we don't really see Chris's home life or anything, but. We don't really need to because that's really not the point of the movie, but um, I do appreciate how they show him, like, hitting her. Well, that's a terrible soundbite. Um, right. I appreciate how they show his his abusive tendencies and his pushiness and everything to show, I guess, like, because she is manipulating him and everything, but he's not, like, a good person or anything, so right. I don't know. I think I think that there's a little bit more nuance to that to to that couple and in those characters than uh than the movie really in the in the version of the movie that the the sto- the version of the story that they're telling in this movie warranted. I don't I, I think that there's a little bit more nuance than what the movie was intending to go for there. And I do appreciate it for that. Um mm-hmm. I will also say that Tommy Ross, played by William Catt, um, I think that he was fairly endearing. Um, like yeah. I said, that that prom scene is very just like you feel like he he's he seems like a, a decent person. And um that's something I really appreciate about it, but um I also kind of feel like that whole element should have been fleshed out a little bit more. Like he, he says like, Oh, you know, he's being nice to her because she liked his poem and everything, but it's like, or his essay, or I think it was a poem. I don't remember. But anyway, um, because, because she, she liked that, but it, I feel like there should be a little bit more there than, than what there is. But at that point I'm kind of nitpicking anyway. So, yeah. I think I think there could have been more too. I think um it felt like he was actually, you know, having a good time with yeah. her at the at the uh um the prom and you know, mm-hmm. I think he originally approached uh his, Sue's idea mm-hmm. as a as a bit of a chore and uh yeah. he you know, he was reluctantly to a certain extent participating in it. Mm-hmm. Um but he's he's a little I think in the actual prom scene he's kind of surprised that he's she's actually a nice girl and she's a person and has feelings and he can have a conversation with her and she's actually yeah. nice and he's actually finding himself having a good time with her. Yeah. Um, it's a and, good and, you contrast. Know, Sorry. It's, it's oh, a good contrast to Chris and, and Billy as being just outright kind of evil, terrible people. Um, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and, and I think more so in the book, um, there, there's all in, in the book, uh, we talked about it. It's, it's so, uh, it's such a downer. Like there's hardly yeah. any, almost no bright points in Carrie White's life. Like there's just, everything is just a, an obstacle and a hardship for her. And it's really, um, really difficult to read. And you feel so bad for her all the time. Yeah. Um, and and there, there is the moment at the prom where she's having a good time and she, yeah. she's having, she's having a connection with another person mm-hmm. and she gets to have fun. Uh, genuine fun, just organic fun. Yeah. And uh, it feels so good in the book. Um, just that she at least got to have a moment like that, you know? Um, 
And I think they captured that pretty well in the movie. And and I, I chalk it up to to uh, his performance and Sissy Spacek. They were good together. Um, it, see, seeing her, you know, she's again. I talked about how she's she was never this ugly duckling thing who transformed right. into the pretty swan, but she is. It's 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 mostly in her body language uh, during yeah. that part. You know, she's she just feels relaxed. Her shoulders. You know, for most of the movie, her she's she, she's like tucked up into her shoulder, you know, tucked down mm-hmm. into her shoulders, and she feels so much more relaxed and calmed down in that in that moment, and she's smiling much more. Um, it, it felt really good to see that, and even even I really appreciated the um, and the climax, the use the use of slow motion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have think I would have. Uh, I, I wouldn't have thought that I would have latched onto that. Um, I think. Mm-hmm slow motion is just too um i think a lot of the time it doesn't work yeah um or it's just kind of um cheesy or maybe a, a kind of a lazy filmmaking tactic but yeah it just really worked for me in this movie i feel like it was sort of carrie subconsciously savoring this moment oh yeah um, interesting and then when the bad happens and they dump the pig's blood on her um they continue with the uh, with the slow motion and mm. the audio drops out totally. And uh, we don't really hear the people laughing at her. Yeah. It's all just a, emotive. I was like, that's, that was really good filmmaking. I really appreciated oh, yeah. the aesthetic of that. It looked really good and it, it was, it was effective. And, you know, I, I feel like it was um, uh, pretty immersive for, for the audience to get us in her, in Carrie's headspace with just how angry she got mm-hmm. and how she reacted and just blew up. Yeah. I, I really appreciated that part. By far, probably my favorite sequence of the entire movie is just the prom sequence all, all told. Um, yep. yeah, I thought, I thought that was really, really incredibly well done. Um, yeah. Do you want to go into spoilers for Carrie 1976? Yeah, we've already kind of spoiled. I've already kind yeah, of gone to the. Yeah. Uh, I, again, I feel like everyone knows this story. Oh, I, absolutely. Maybe that's just me. Oh, yeah. But I feel like you can't really spoil it for anybody. I think you any, really I really can. Much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah. why I've, I've said it before. That's why I waited so long to read the book and mm-hmm. see the movie because I was like, I basically feel like I've already seen it and read it because yeah. I know what happens. Um, yeah. Which isn't a bad thing. It didn't. No, it not, not at all. Yeah. It wasn't not special for me. Yeah, so. exactly. Like we know the Titanic's going to sink. That <laughs> right. doesn't make Titanic any less of a shitty movie. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, uh, but no, but anyway, I, I do have the clip from the trailer on the board. So let's just go ahead and go into spoilers and, uh, and we can talk in more depth. Cause I do want to talk about, uh, Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek at the end of the movie. So, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer, check the show notes for timestamps for whatever reason, but a uh, clip from the trailer. And then we're, when we come back, we're going to be spoiling Carrie. It's the night of the senior prom. The Bates High School gym is alive with excitement. Everybody is there. Even Carrie White. The girl no one likes. Oh, sorry about this incident, Cassie. It's Carrie! And everyone makes fun of her. The girl who lives in that creepy house with her crazy mother. Okay, so spoilers on for Carrie, 1976. 
Um, Tiny, something that I really, really liked about this movie, I, I feel like I've been kind of down on the movie as a whole, and I do stand by that because I, the movie, to me, isn't as great as... It, it isn't as defining of a movie for the horror genre as I think uh, it's it gets acclaimed as. But something I really liked about it is the way that the kind of final confrontation between Carrie and Margaret plays out. Um, when she has destroyed the prom, she's murdered Chris and Billy, which we can come back to that. I, I had a problem with that scene, but, um, and she goes home to her mother and it creates this just absolute tragedy in it. Um, it's almost like a Greek tragedy where she goes home. She, she doesn't like, she has experienced the worst pain imaginable, um, and inflicted the most horrific pain imaginable. And the only thing she wants is to be like with her mother to be like, to be comforted. And she cannot give her that because her mother is insane. And the way that that all plays out is just so painfully beautiful to me um even down to the stab and like that that look that that Carrie gives to her where she says like can't you hold me or please hold me because I I like need comforted it's just it is shocking how much emotional resonance it provided me and how painful it was so I don't know how did you feel about about all that um yeah Interesting. Um, I, I didn't have the opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for me, that's, I think that is the peak of Piper Laurie going over the top. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. It it was mostly her, her body language and just, mm. she, she's like doing this weird, like, um, animatronic, like caressing of, of Carrie. It just felt really weird. I was like, what's she doing with her hands? Like what's happening? I know that's right. <laughs> it's, that's a little nitpicky and maybe a little um, silly to focus on that, but it just, it, it was too much. And, and I, I didn't, I didn't care for her delivery in, mm-hmm. in the scene. Um, I liked Sissy Spacek and I mm-hmm. liked the, the stakes of that scene and the uh, structure of it. I thought that was all great. Um, but it was it was really just Piper Laurie's performance that just cheapened it for me, or kind of uh, took it down a degree or two for me. Um, I also um, uh, quick spoiler alert for the book. Oh yeah, in the book she doesn't die that way. Right, she dies a different way. I won't say how, so mm-hmm. I'll avoid that spoiler. But um, so this was different in the movie. Um, the you know Carrie telekinetically launching the knives at her yeah i thought that was that was pretty cool i mean i was yeah. i was sort of looking forward to seeing how they might you know visually represent her heart being exploded in her chest basically yeah. is pretty much what carrie did in the book right um that that would have been cool but i think they had a it was pretty creative and yeah especially the fact that she like like uh uh, uh stuck her hands to the door jam mm-hmm. and she was in a you know crucifix kind of position yeah. that was uh just really poignant um mm-hmm. and uh and just visually uh 
a, a nice cue. I, I liked that uh, quite a bit. But yeah. uh, other than that, the the other parts of the scene, I just again it, it, structurally and all that, I, I liked it. It was just I thought Piper Laurie was a little goofy. Okay, yeah, that's that's fair. That that's fair. I I I don't know. I think I just latched on to Sissy Spacek and just the kind of overall tragedy of it. So, yeah, okay. I. And I wasn't as uh, disconnected with Piper Laurie's performance as a whole up to that point, really. So I think that maybe that's also partially why it, why it didn't bother me that, all that much. But um, I do agree that the kind of the knife stabbing, the, ni- the knives stabbing at her and everything were uh, pretty remarkable. It's I much, much prefer the way that she dies in the book, but... I think that this was a cool, like, visual representation of a way to to kill her. And like you said, the kind of crucifix pose is very uh, appropriate. And it's kind of good, good if very overt symbolism. (laughs) Um, um, But one of the things I kind of didn't really like, and I kind of wish that it had been doled out a lot better or a lot clearer throughout the course of the movie, was how she just suddenly, like, goes into this whole thing about how you know your your father your your father uh and I had sex before marriage and it was a sin and then you were like you were like I was pregnant with you and then I promised like he would never do that to me again and like she goes in this whole spiel and I kind of wish that that would have been a little bit more clear throughout the movie um in like a part of the, I wish it would have been more of a, more of a, um, more tailored to her fears and her anger for Carrie going to prom. Like, I wish that it was more demonstrated throughout the movie so that she could be like, this is, this is what, you know, that, that boy Tommy Ross is going to want to do this and everything, which there's some of that, but there, the context isn't necessarily there for why she is so aggressively against that, aside from being, you know, a religious nut job. Um, so, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It wasn't um, that conflict and that, you know, um, Mrs. White, Margaret White's reason for having so much animosity towards mm-hmm. Carrie was not fleshed out well enough and it, it shouldn't have been um, kind of tacked onto that final scene the way it was. It should have been yeah. slowly revealed Ex- exactly like, like you said, I, I agree with that fully. That was, um, that was a missed cue in the movie for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it's a lot of information at a very, very big moment of the movie. And it, it kind of just, it kind of gets drowned out in the cacophony of the chaos, really. Um, and kind of on that similar note, um, there, uh, well, this is kind of a non sequitur, but, um, the, the prom sequence, let's kind of go back to that and talk about how there's this interesting, but I don't know how I feel about it. Um, use of split screen that he does where it's like one side is Carrie's face in profile with the crazy, you know, with, with her eyes just like screaming with rage and everything. And then the other, the other half, like it's a divided 
like there's a bar in the middle of the screen to where the other frame on the left side is just the chaos of the of the uh of the gymnasium and everything and it I felt like that was a little off-putting it was a little bit a little bit weird to me um and I just didn't really understand the the choice to do it to do it that way how did you feel about the split screen yeah I I didn't I didn't hate it I think um it was maybe a kind of a common practice at the time in the seventies. There were maybe oh, some other yeah. directors who too. I'm I'm trying to think of specific examples, but it's mm-hmm. not it's avoiding me at the moment. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I've seen it before, not just in Brian De Palma movies. Um, okay. It's a little goofy. I, I feel like there's a better way to do it. I think. Mm-hmm. Moving back and moving the focus back and forth is a much better way to do it. I, mm-hmm. I prefer that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I didn't jump out as a really big negative to me. I'll I'll put it that way, I guess. Okay. Yeah, that's totally fair. I, yeah, it just, it kind of was a little bit jarring to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, oh, go ahead. Fun fact that I read in the uh, trivia the in like one of the last the kind of the the um ending of the climax where the house is collapsing in and everything mm-hmm. uh they're in the closet and the uh statue that they show yeah um i had never seen that statue i was like is that hmm. that's weird what is that cuz it looks like jesus on the cross but he's mm-hmm. got arrows shot into his body i was mm-hmm. like which is also reflective of the uh the way that her, oh, her yeah. mother died um it's actually supposed to be saint sebastian um oh. i i don't know who that is hmm. i was gonna google it but i kind of forgot so <laughs> um but sure. that, that just jumped out to me and i was like that's weird i've never seen that statue before so yeah um, but i like i like how it related to the way that mrs white was killed you know it was oh yeah uh, poignant you know basically the same way <laughs> yeah exactly um early saint and martyr uh he was killed during the diaclitionic persecution of christians which i thought was there was interesting um yeah, yeah that's really interesting i didn't put that to i just assumed it was uh uh the j man right, um, right. so yeah um chris and uh billy's death I yeah yeah visually and technically really cool very very effective like the very like it is it is a very cool sequence and everything but it happens so suddenly and it's edited so bizarrely because like the the car is moving at a at a very quick pace and it's covering a um like it doesn't make sense that it's not hitting her immediately. (laughs) Yeah. But I just feel like there should have been a little bit more build up toward that because it is kind of with a lot of things in this movie, very brisk, very, very quick. And I kind of wish that there was something else to pay that off. Um, It just, it didn't, it didn't feel right. It didn't feel appropriate to have it just be a blink and you miss it kind of big, big moment. I agree. Yeah, it was too fast. It wasn't even 30 seconds and they're yeah. just gone, you know. I, mm-hmm. I 
there should have been more meat on the bone for yeah. that one. I, I totally agree. Um, oh, yeah. I don't remember in the book, is there any special emphasis on when those two characters were killed? I don't think so. If anything, I I vaguely think that it might have been a situation where they like saw her and were going to run her down. And it was more like a it was more of a of a thing, which is still in the movie. But it, I would have liked there to be like a moment where it's like, well, we can take her down. We can, you know, she's ruined it. Like she's killed everyone. She's ruined everything. This is all her fault, even though we're the ones that did this uh, to do it. But we just see them driving and then they're flipping over and dying. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it was a, it was a little anticlimactic. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah. And the it it was interesting because uh this movie predates a lot of things. Like it is it predates Halloween, which had PJ Souls in it as well. Um PJ mm-hmm. Souls played Norma in this, which is also interesting because the this movie <laughs> like the um the kind of reverence that it has for psycho is very, very apparent. Like the high school is Bates high school. PJ souls character is Norma, um, Mm. the music. And throughout the movie, I was thinking like, okay, yeah, that's it. We get it. We get it. You guys, you like psycho Hitchcock is a master filmmaker. (laughs) Like we get it. Quit like ripping them off technically, but Mm -hmm. something in, and even in the way, that Piper Laurie holds the knife and swings it down is very much like shower scene. Definitely. Yeah. And what I really, really like about that, as much as you can kind of pinpoint it, like I just did 45 seconds ago (laughs) about it being ripping (laughs) off psycho, they do kind of coexist in a very interesting way. It's about a, a young person who is, not has not developed properly because they're overbearing parents and their parents have their this control over them and that causes them to lash out in a violent thing in a violent way and violent means and have this fractured mental state and i really like that kind of like viewing both of these movies as kind of similar to each other in that respect. So it kind of takes away some of the ripoff quality, but it still is a little bit overbearing in the homage department. Yeah, I, I agree. That didn't jump out. I kind of forgot about the, uh, I didn't really connect the normal thing. And then mm-hmm. I didn't even note the name of the high school until yeah. I saw the trivia. Honestly, so me neither. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't jump out to me as much. Um, but now that you say that it's, it's totally there. Yeah. 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 Um, I feel like there was something else I was going to bring up, but I can't remember what it is. Um, anything else we haven't touched on that you want to touch on in spoilers? The only thing I wanted to say was I would have liked to see, I don't, I don't know if this was because of budgetary reasons or what, mm-hmm. but I would have liked to see more of the town destruction. Yes. Um, like her exploding all the water, uh, the, uh, fire hydrants, mm-hmm. um, and doesn't she blow up a gas station? She does. Yeah. Right. That would have been, I just, I, that would have been so much more fun to see. And, and you know, mm-hmm. it would have been more of a, an even bigger event uh, in, in that regard. Um, 
but it, it wasn't bad. I, I, I'm not, you know, I understand it was a lower budget movie and stuff. Um, yeah. Did you, so Stephen King like loves this ending. Yeah. Where, oh, and that's what I was going to say is that this predates like Halloween with PJ souls, but it also predates Friday, uh, Friday the 13th, which has like that same ending. Um, the kind of like, the standard horror movie ending where something comes up and shocks you and everything. Um, I didn't really care about this ending like at all. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. And I feel Uh, like Sue Snell gets kind of a, the short shrift. Uh, yeah. 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 I I like, I like that. I like her conclusion in the book better. Me too. For sure. Um, I, the, the, the ending I was more talking about was, Carrie bringing down the house on top of them. Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, which I, th- I think is, it's cool and I don't dislike it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I really liked the, um, the, I, I guess catharsis would be the word or mm-hmm. the, um, uh, the therapeutic nature of the ending where she has the Vulcan mind meld with Sue Snell and, and sees yeah. it someone was genuinely nice to her um, because, you know, she, she could have been thinking the whole time that uh, her and Tommy set her up for this, yeah. even though they didn't. And, oh, and, yeah. and in, in the movie, she very well may have died thinking that. Yeah. Um, but she has that nice cathartic move uh, point in the, in the book mm-hmm. that I really liked. And it was so touching and, um, and just, just heartfelt. And I liked that part of the book. Yeah. And so I, I was kind of missing it in the movie. Um, I, I do think her bringing the house down is really cool. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it leaves a mark on the town. I think that's re- really neat. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it, I, I don't dislike it, but I, I kind of would have liked to see the uh, um, Carrie, like bring the house down on her mother and then, go kind of die in the street and have that moment with Sue. That would have been pretty poignant in my book. But. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I honestly kind of forgot about the kind of Vulcan mind meld thing, uh, from the book. Yeah. And yeah, that, that was sorely missed now that you say that, because it's, mm. it it's something that really in the, in the book really does a great job of completing Carrie White's arc and yes. giving her this, tr- it, it is really, really solidifying the tragedy of Carrie White. And without it in this movie, the tragedy kind of becomes sort of rightfully so like it, it becomes the tragedy of the mother and uh, the mother and son or mother and daughter. Um, and like, that's appropriate. It works well. It's fine. But I think that the kind of, the sort of absolution that she gets out of it uh, in the book, the kind of that, that level of like understanding that she has in her final moments is very much important to the arc of the character. And that is very much not present in, in the movie. So that's unfortunate. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. Um, yeah. yeah, again, not a bad ending, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have anything else really. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, would this be on your top 19 Stephen King adaptations list? I I feel like it should be because, again, it's so mm. well regarded by so many people. Um, but kind of to your point earlier on, I, I don't know if I hold it in the same regard as other people do. Yeah. Um, I think um, Sissy Spacek as Carrie White is – like I said, pitch perfect. I, yeah. I oh, yeah. love that performance and, and she was amazing. Um, and for that reason alone, I'm very tempted to put it on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, revisiting it, I might, uh, I might do that. I, I'll, I'll flirt with it kind of like I did with the book. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I, I'm not sure if I want to officially make any changes yet, but um, it, it could make its way on there just because of Sissy Spacek. Nice. Nice. Um, unfortunately, it's not going to make it on my top 19 adaptations list. Um, but I do appreciate it. Even if I can't connect with it the way that, you know, most people can connect with it, it seems. Um, I, I do appreciate some of the filmmaking techniques, some of like definitely some of the performances and the overall mood of it just as a complete unit. It doesn't really work for me or gel with me. Um, as well as it could, which, you know, that's, that's my cross to bear, but whatever. Um, yeah. Have we sufficiently talked out Brian De Palma's carry? Yeah. Uh, what rating did you give it? Oh, I rated it three stars. Three stars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I gave it three and a half. So nice. Which by the way, listeners, if you want to follow us on letterboxd, go to letterboxd.com slash obsessive viewer and letterboxd.com slash obsessive tiny. Um, by the way, I while we were talking, I did look at your letterbox tiny and you never logged the 2013 carry, so the January 26, 2014 must have been that one. I think it was. So, yeah. So, yeah. um so yeah. So I'm not going to I'm not going to swatch you. <laughs> like I had planned on it. That's nice. Dark. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Anyway, uh, do we have anything else, or should we, should we close close things up? I think we should bring the house down. All right. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh-huh. Uh, all righty. Well, that is our review of Carrie from 1976. Let us know what you thought about it. Um, and yeah, we're going to next time on the podcast, which should hopefully be sooner rather than later. We'll, we'll see. Um, we're going to be covering the 2002 TV movie, Carrie, um, made by what's his name? Oh my God. Why? I can't remember his name. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Brian, uh, I don't know, but anyway, um, we're going to be doing that, <laughs> and, uh, off to a great start with that one, but <laughs> no, the plan is to do the 2002 TV movie carry and then do the 2013 carry movie. Uh, so look forward to that. In the meantime, check out Patreon. Uh, you can become a patron, uh, $2 per month is probably the best option because that gets you all the book and TV and, and movie reactions and all of that. Um, so check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And, uh, and like I said, I am going to be covering a fairy tale when it comes out. So on the $2 uh, per month level. So, uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and play us out. Uh, once again, check out all of our stuff. Check out our other podcasts. Check out Obsessive Viewer. Check out uh, Anthology. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Having said all that, Tiny, 
it's been a pleasure and uh uh yeah long days and pleasant nights and may you have twice the number And now, enjoy this short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV book and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. I gained kind of a new appreciation of... Um of uh this story this time around but mostly because again that narrative structure the way that king spins his tales is always really really interesting to me um especially when he does these things like he does in crouch end where it has this interesting like not necessarily competing narrative but it's this um kind of filtering back and forth um like in the timeline so what we have here is doris and lonnie are in london and something happens and we get we get this kind of like three-tiered narrative device where we have the police the police officers in the precinct or whatever it's called over there um they, we have the police officers talking, and it's after the fact. It's after everything's happened, after uh, Doris, I think was her, was her name. I just, I literally just said it. But anyway, um, we have the... Uh, we we have the police officers talking and they're kind of they have their own little thing they have their own little um kind of inner plot threads and everything and backstories and all of that and then we get this yes it's doris okay um and then we get the detail of what happened and it's just it's such an interesting this podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com you can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.